Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People. I'm Courtney Bourne. <laughs> I just got I just got cavity fills and the left upper corner of my mouth is still numb. So when I talk, I no one can like tell that I'm doing this. I cover my face up a little bit, but it's funny because it just feels funny. Oh, um, I'm gonna try to make it through this without laughing in between talking. So Something Positive for Positive People is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that connects people who are navigating herpes stigma to community resources, support social groups, as well as mental health resources. I don't know what that was. Okay, that was my laptop. Just it should be off. I don't know why that happened. That's creepy. Maybe I have a ghost. But uh, you can follow me on Instagram at hrmychest. You can visit www.spfpp.org in order to learn more about the organization and contribute if you want to do any sort of interviews, even if you want to share your experience navigating herpes stigma, or if you are in need of podcast episode recommendations, feel free to reach out. And my email there is just Courtney at SPFPP.org. And I want to welcome you to the third episode of the Discordant Dating Series. Yes, I gave it a name. And today we're going to be interviewing with Paul. And I'm going to let Paul, uh, I'll let you introduce yourself. Just start with your pronouns, uh, any identifiers that you have, uh, age, race, um, What's the what's the sexuality, uh, heterosexual or pansexual or whatever uh, it is that you want to share? And then we'll go into the interview from there. Awesome. So all cisgender, heterosexual, straight male um, pronouns, he, him, uh, African-American, Fifty in the fifty-year range. All right. <laughs> hey, you look good, man. You look good. I'm, I'm fifty-one. I'm looking pretty good, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, this is what I'm striving for. I'm striving to get like you. Experience a lot of biohacking. All right. Now you are currently dating someone who is positive for herpes, and as far as you know, you've not shown any symptoms, nor have you tested positive for herpes yourself. Is that right? All right, so let's get into it. Like, how were you disclosed to? How did your partner share her status with you? Well, my current partner, um, we had a, we just had an open conversation. Um, things were getting to the point where we knew we were going to be intimate, and she just said, "I got to tell you something." And you know, before we go there, um, and she um, shared with me her status and asked me how I felt about it. And because I have had a previous relationship 10 years ago or so, maybe 12 years ago, um, where I was in with, with someone who was also positive, um, I had pretty, I won't say in-depth, but certainly a grounded knowledge um, in herpes and understanding and how it works. And um, having navigated that before, I, I was pretty first on it. So I didn't have a whole lot of, I didn't have any statement attached to it other than thank you for telling me. Um, and I, you know, I have the ability to make my own choice whether I move forward or not. And I chose to move forward. Um, having an understanding of, of, of what the virus is and how it affects individuals. All right. And what were some things that 
you took into consideration when making that decision to move forward. You said that you had already dated someone in the past, so this isn't your first rodeo per se, but I'm curious to know um, if there were any other factors that um, that contributed to you being like, all right, well, that's not a big deal. Let's move forward. Yeah, so part of it is understanding the research, right? And understanding that when you start looking at the, <laughs> the general population of people, well over 90%, I, I'm, and I'm probably, I'm probably being conservative here when I say this, but well over 90% of, of people probably either have either have been tested or probably have the virus, right? And so, and most of us could be walking around asymptomatic and never know it, never have an outbreak, um, and but can certainly pass it, right? And so that's pretty much how it's been passed in the population of, of people. So, because I have been with someone in the past, and though I tested negative after that relationship ended, um, that doesn't mean that I don't have it. It's just that I tested negative at that time. Like, there was nothing to indicate that I had had, had the virus. So they never had an outbreak. So you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to tell unless something happened. Um, so I had I had a pretty good understanding of that, and you know, she hadn't had an outbreak. I think maybe one, you know, when it first when she first got diagnosed, but hadn't had one since. Um, the timing, the time lapse between when she was notified and, and when we got together, it was pretty significant from my perspective. And so, um, and understanding when when someone's contagious, when someone's not contagious, understanding all those different things, those are things that I thought about. But I also kind of figured, you know, what I could have it and just not know it not could be asymptomatic then, it, then it's moot for me um and i've navigated this before and if i really truly feel the way i feel about this person um i'm not gonna let that hold me back and that's kind of where i went with it there you have it folks that concludes is no i'm just kidding i'm not gonna close this <laughs> out there but uh that's that's the consistent thing. And talking to people who uh, are in discordant relationships, the negative partner or the partner who has not had symptoms, uh, the education is key. And there seems to be like a certainty in how it is that they feel about the other person. It's like, all right, well, this isn't going to be the thing that gets in the way of us being able to be intimate with one another. And you're 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 validating that here by sharing what your experience is it's about education and just that desire to be with someone so uh i'm curious to know would there have been anything that would have altered your decision to move forward maybe in her presentation of how she disclosed or uh yeah let's let's start there i don't want to add too much to the question no i mean that's a great question you know and i hadn't um I hadn't really thought about that. It's interesting because I had a partner before her and I let my partner know before her, look, I've been with someone who had has herpes in the past and I haven't had an outbreak and certainly you did have no been I've tested negative because you know I got tested before we got together. But I let her know and I said and I kind of educated her a little bit, you know, that I could be asymptomatic but never had an outbreak never had anything and then tested negative so probably not but that chance always exists so um what i really appreciated about my current partner honestly was that she 
the courage to tell me. Because most people won't say anything. It, it's, it's a, that's been my understanding. Like most people wouldn't say anything because it's it's embarrassing. They 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 um, have you know very strong visceral reaction to having to tell someone. It's embarrassing. You know, they, they're very emotionally. They feel dirty. I mean, all these different things kind of come into mind because I got this virus and it's so and it's it's always it's always been a negative thing. But I really the fact that she told me probably made me admire her more than not saying anything to me at all. And then let's say somewhere down the road, she has an outbreak and she has to explain it. Then that's, then it's almost like, well, why did you tell me that at the beginning? Right. So I think that first of all, it takes someone a lot of courage to be able to share that uh, fact and, and certainly being prepared for the other person to either accept or reject. I mean, that certainly that possibility always exists, but I think if you're talking to someone who's, at least emotionally intelligent enough um, to understand that um, what's the person sitting in front of you is a human being um, and they deserve the consideration and they certainly deserve the opportunity to receive love and give love just like anybody else. Um, it, should, it should be, it should be, a, it should just be a common conversation and then a decision should be made and that's it. Yeah. So I'm hearing emotional maturity as well. Uh, that's something that came up with our last guest. It was just like, you know, I recognize, you know, where we are. And I'm wondering if this is an age thing. So you said about 10, 12 years ago, you dated someone with herpes and that would have put you at 39, late 30s. So I'm curious to know your risk tolerance or awareness or comfort with dating someone who has herpes now versus what it might have been prior to that point in time well see that that past relationship was see that that started in 2007 so i um, put a date on it so 2007 to 2009 um that partner also disclosed to me in the beginning um gave me some literature gave me a couple pamphlets i at that point i had didn't have a you know a broad or at least knowledge of, of, the, of the virus and how to how to live with it and manage and navigate it um but she gave me information um i got introduced to i think she introduced me to her doctor who ended up becoming my doctor at one point and um um and we just had a conversation about it and so once i understood how the virus is passed once I understood how it worked, once I understood some of the just the background research around how many people actually have it, potentially could have it, um, doctor told me he said I got to be asymptomatic today. I mean, even before I tested, you know, because that doctor tested me. Um, but my decision was made based on information at that time, um, and the fact that that partner also disclosed. So I would say. Um, and I'm, I would say I'm more emotionally mature now than I was back then, but, but I mean, there was some there, I mean, but like you said, I was certainly in my late thirties at that point. So I was 37, yeah, 37. Um, so emotional maturity with age, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. It's really interesting. Um, I'm always fascinated by science. So I, I I can't say I can't give you a yes or no. Yeah, yeah. I feel like I'm more emotionally mature now. I, I am, but I don't know that that 
was part of the decision making process. Um, I took a risk back then. Um, I'm a risk taker, but not crazy. <laughs> but I think when you have information, you can make an informed choice. I think that's that's the thing. If you have information, you can make an informed choice. And at that point, you're choosing whether or not you want to engage in a relationship with this person or not. And I could have, I could have always said no. But then I could be missing out on the best person that ever, you know, came across my life. Right? And so again, is that gonna be your barrier? Mm. Because most people can't help that they got it. It wasn't like they just decided to get it today. <laughs> um, many people don't know and they find out and then they gotta navigate mm-hmm. it. And that's 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 the that's part of the problems that most people don't know that their partner has it and they and they contract it and then it's all these questions and all this emotional connection and that's you know disconnection because because of that fact yeah thank you for sharing that in such detail uh the vulnerability that comes with someone sharing their status is something that you admire like um it is a big deal for some people to be able to share that information, given not just the stigma, but also any sort of negative projected emotions or feelings or thoughts from society and groups of people who either don't have herpes or have no idea what it's like to have herpes. Those are projected onto Anyone who receives his diagnosis initially and it kind of becomes the inner voice. If you have those inner those um, those projections just building up inside of you and you're listening to that and that becomes what you think are your beliefs and then it translates into your actions. If you aren't challenging that, then you're essentially being controlled and manipulated by those external voices of people who don't even know what it's like to have herpes. So one of the things that I encourage people to do is to get involved with community. There are so many support groups that are out there that you can start with and begin to get the real story because you know a lot of times we are the resource as people who are navigating this and for many of us we might be the first person who um introduces someone to herpes in general just from sharing our status with them they may not have even heard from someone that they've had herpes before so i like to you know put that out there for people to understand because most of the listeners are people living with herpes But I also want to say to the people who are listening who don't have herpes that it's okay for you to have whatever your visceral response is. Like we're all human. And, you know, when you hear that, you may be a victim of the externally projected thoughts onto you about what it means for a person to have herpes, what they look like or like your your head might explode because you don't expect the person sitting across from you that you're interested in and you're thinking about having sex with to fix their lips to say, I have herpes, and then take the discussion from there. So it's also okay for you to have your emotions along with that. Now, um, there's also, there's three different responses that I'm finding people get from a potential partner, one of which is no thanks, the other is tell me more, and then the other one is me too. So statistically speaking, there's only one in three odds of a rejection, and even then, that rejection is just oftentimes rooted in someone's 
lack of information. And I like what you said because uh, you were speaking to the information. I love that you uh, and your previous partner went to their doctor together so that you could get the information from the source. So there was like this exchange and reciprocity in the dialogue. It wasn't just, I have herpes, here's the information, and then you take whatever it is that they give you, or you go off and you Google things on your own and you get inconsistent or inaccurate information. You both went to the doctor where you could both ask questions. And I think that even that, like that's something that's vulnerable and intimate as well. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> you know, you, first of all, the, the, using the doctor as a source, but sharing, introducing me to that, that person obviously has intimate knowledge of that partner. Right. And, that, and so we're having that discussion. We're discussing that, you know, health information that's supposed to be protected discussing it because it could have an impact on me and so participating in that conversation certainly helped um you know with my you know so i kind of know what question like so my current partner when she told me i think i was more like telling me a little bit more you know i may ask i may have asked some questions right but the questions weren't to try to disqualify if you will it was more about just wanting to understand how how what her experience was yeah Perfect. Um, I'm curious to know, and I'm curious to know a lot of things, but I'm, I'm prefacing things so that I can figure out which thought comes to mind before others. And what <laughs> surface now is about your deal breakers. So herpes obviously isn't a deal breaker, but are you someone who knows what your hard deal breakers are with a potential partner? That's right. Hey, you got an answer. You can tell me. You can tell me. Move on, because that's that's a big question. I don't know. I don't know that if I'm 100 percent clear about deal breakers. I mean, I think it, it, that's all contextually based, right? Um, I mean, because we all choose to get in relationships for different reasons, um, or start down that, or start down the relationship road, or start down the intimacy road. Um, so I think, you know, probably if I had to answer that question, it would be a complete mismatch of values. Mm. Now, if you're That's sitting, good. if you're sitting across from someone, you've matched, you've texted for a while, you've date, you've maybe gone on a couple of dates, and you you kind of have an idea uh, where things are with the person. So when we talk about like a mismatch of values, compatibilities, um, that can be also something that would contribute to one being like, ah, oh, you know, I don't want to move forward, and I want to bring this to light so that people can also take this into consideration because on one hand, you know, disclosing your herpes status to someone who is negative for it or has shown no symptoms, you are anticipating either rejection or the approval to move forward. And often there is such a laser focus on this one thing of acceptance that all of these other potential mismatches of compatibility just go completely overlooked. And coming from the other end of that, you know, going into a relationship or dating scenario where you're across with someone and you're like, yeah, this is going well. I like the conversation. I like that our values seem to align and they disclose their status to you. Your decision making at that point, you know, you you said um, if there's just a mismatch of values and it's like, all right, we're not going to move forward. But at this level, at this 
age at this level of wisdom and maturity and emotional awareness, you know pretty early, all right, yeah, I want to move forward with this person. And even something like herpes isn't going to be the thing that overshadows the values and alignments and uh, compatibility with a potential partner. Yeah, I think you just nailed it right on the head. Um, if you're truly connecting with the person, I mean, I mean, things beyond superficial. I mean, yeah, people could be attractive and we're going to say this person's really sexy and so I'm turned on by this person. Um, and you kind of get a sense of, you know, it, all of us, we, you know, we'll assess someone and, we'll, you know, we'll get a sense, is this a one-time deal or is this, you know, or is this something that's going to be more sustainable? Maybe it's going to, maybe it is going to be a dating relationship. Maybe it's going to be deeper than that. Um, and I think with all of us as humans, the more experience we have with that dating process and just being in relationships, we kind of have, like you said, we have a sense of where we're going to go, what the values are, why we mismatched or not um, pretty early on. So part of that is, yeah, I didn't just jump right in the bed with my with my, my current partner. <laughs> I, it was there was obviously exchange and communication and connection and just getting to know, right? And then we then because it was going that direction, we both knew it was going that direction. That's when we had the conversation. So mismatching values, yeah, you should be able to tell pretty much early on, unless you're just trying to get into it just for the physical aspects of intimacy. And I look at connection much more, much more deeply than that. It's not just, I mean, there's multiple areas, right? It's not just physical. I mean, it's emotional, it's spiritual, it's intellectual. Um, and certainly, you know, when those things start lining up, you know, then you start realizing the entire value of the relationship in the first place and, um, and, and where that, where that could lead. So, um, yeah, I knew right away, you know, that we were aligned. It's just how deep that was going to go, which was which was more the question. But you know, but that you know, saying yes, having that understanding, and, and and I'll say saying yes, choosing to move forward allowed the rest of that to open up. Okay, if you were to present symptoms of herpes, as far as you know, based on the experiences that you had with your previous partner and now your current partner. Uh, I guess what would be your response to it? Like, how would you react to, you know, just having your first initial symptom? Well, I would imagine, just like with everybody, anybody else who's had who's had that that first outbreak, had that experience, it's going to be a little bit discombobulating in some respects because, like, what's going on, right? And then you're gonna go to the doctor. I mean, if, if if you're paying attention to your body, you're going to know something's happening that's different and you're hopefully you're going to go get it checked out, right? I'm that type of person. If something's going on with my body, I, I notice it and I'm going to get it checked out. If the doctor would come back to me and say, well, you tested positive for herpes. You know, I would be, I'd be surprised, but I wouldn't, it wouldn't be like I would blame anyone, you know, because I kind of understand, I understand the science behind it and understand the research and certainly understand the things that trigger an outbreak, you know, particularly when, you know, management of stress or mismanagement of stress or lack of management of stress. There's a lot of things that can trigger, but certainly usually related to the stress response. Um, I do a lot of things to manage my 
emotional energy, which is where stress is rooted. And so that would surprise me. But I would, you know, talk about it. Um, uh, you know, my partner certainly is one that I know I can talk to about. I feel like, you know, we obviously have that trust. So I wouldn't want her to feel like she passed it on to me because th- there were so many opportunities before her. Um, and honestly, um, it could have been any partner in the past. And it just so happens today, my, my levels of stress got to a point where I couldn't manage them. And this is how my body reacted to it. This is, it's, it's an immune response. So, um, but I have, but I have some foundations in health and wellness. So for me, it would just be a matter of, okay, what, what did I not manage within myself that allowed it to happen versus, oh God, now I got this and it's because of you. Cause I, that would, those are my choices. Those were my partner's choices. Right. Um, and so I need to manage that and certainly seek support and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, you know, I'm sure I would be surprised, but it wouldn't be like the end of the world. We mean death sentence. Um, it's just that, okay, I'm positive. Now we got it. Now we can navigate that, but that could also open up a whole nother level of intimacy with the relationship. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. There's opportunity in everything that happens to us. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I would see the opportunity ultimately. Yeah, I appreciate that because I'm thinking, you know, from my perspective, it can be like, all right, well, we don't need to use condoms anymore, babe. Yes, we yeah, got it all, over all, with. All the things out of the window. That's all. <laughs> that's out the door, right? Yeah. It's okay, yeah. We don't have to be so careful. I mean, whatever, or you know, you didn't mean. I mean, yeah. But just, but I think as long as the communication is there, and the communication is open and it's honest and it's direct and it's truthful and it's compassionate and it's loving, right? And all these different things then it's okay. I might get tested tomorrow and find out I'm positive tomorrow. Then what? Mm -hmm. Is that going to change what my partner and I have been doing so far? It shouldn't. It shouldn't. It should have no impact. Yeah. You mentioned some, um, like, emotional health management, um, emotional... Um, what would you say? I, I forget the exact wording, but like you manage your emotions. Like I'm curious to know what some of those practices look like for you. I keep saying I'm curious to know. I think that's like the new um for me. I got to watch that. <laughs> that's the new um. That's the new um. Yeah. So how I manage my emotional state. So obviously exercise. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a meditation practitioner. Uh, I meditate. I've been meditating for the last nine years. Um, in the last three years, four years, I meditate twice a day, every single day. There's no breaks. That helps with the emotional management. Um, I have a couple other practices, um, the coherence building practice. Again, these are things that help us manage our nervous system and help us manage the emotional states. Um, just meditation itself, I mean, in mindfulness, I mean, there's so much research out there today, I, I don't understand why it's not meditating. Because if you want to manage your emotional states, if you meditated every single day, you would have a shift in, in, in your response to the things that happen to us or how you perceive how things happen to us. This is for everybody. So just those two practices alone, um, uh, meditation and coherence building and exercise, those three practices, those are the things that I use to manage my emotional states. And most people tell you will tell you that I'm, you know if you were to talk to people that knew me I'm the most I'm probably the most laid back person that you know, 
I don't get, I don't allow a lot of things to get underneath my skin. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean there aren't things that won't, but the things that do, it's very few things that will get underneath my skin. Most things I can manage. And so it's, and if someone's who, someone who is positive, if you don't have a practice, I would suggest having an emotional self-management practice, whether it's meditation, whether you want to go out there and do yoga, whether you want to get acupuncture on a regular basis, whether you want to get massages. But self-care is such an important piece being able to navigate how we respond to our environment and how we respond to the things that happen to us on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I think those are all useful tips. And I've been practicing yoga I'm in my ninth year. I started shortly after my diagnosis because these were the things that I searched for. How do I reduce outbreaks? And it was nutrition, movement, and stress management. And all of these things kind of revolved around yoga. And so I got into it and I've been practicing, yeah, ever since not too long after my diagnosis. So that's been something that's helped me with sort of detaching from what's not mine and recognizing what is mine in my own centered emotional state Um, and being able to just like be in alignment, if you will, and act from that place rather than a place of stigma or uh, a place of what uh, the societal external expectations of me are uh taking it back to uh the the discordant dating piece do how how did you and your partner meet did y'all meet online did you meet in person yeah, we met in person okay oh all right like at work or social setting or what in a in a in a, in a social setting Okay, that's cool. I was just curious if it was through a dating site because it's it's tough meeting people in person now. And I I can share this here. Uh, I've gotten off of dating apps. I just moved to Portland, Oregon uh, from St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, three months ago, yeah, I paid rent three times. That's how I keep track (laughs) how much how much money I spent here. Um, and since coming here, I got on the dating apps and. Not to like brag or anything, but I kind of got overwhelmed. I was like, uh, I need to, I need to figure this out. So, um, I got off of all of them except one because that's that's like my favorite one. But uh, I've definitely capped out on my partnerships. But I'm also recognizing that I want to be able to meet new people. I want to be social, not just meet new partners, but also make new friends. So I feel like the pandemic or pre-pandemic meeting people online and dating apps and everything was kind of like the norm. And then you'd go out with them, right? And now we've been masked up, not able to see the bottom half of people's faces for going on two years. And it's like a flip-flop. Like there's more of a desire for human connection, even through the tension of navigating, introducing yourself to someone who, you know, is like, give me six feet. I'm wearing my mask. Don't talk to me. So there's like, a little bit of an uncertainty and discomfort there and a challenge even uh, that I think presents uh, an opportune time for creating intimacy. So I'm curious to know, you know, for you meeting in person during a pandemic, because y'all are fairly newer partners, like y'all met at least in 2020, right? We met in late 2020. Um, and I would say we've been dating 
Okay. Yeah. So like, does, does dating or how is dating in a pandemic, you know, period or is meeting people for you having met people out in the wild? Like how, how do you talk to people? Where do you talk to people? Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I'm connected in the wellness community and that's how, that's how we met. Mm. Um, And so at that time, because of the pandemic, you know, we were all looking for connection. All the social circles and, and, and that we were used to, you know, being and navigating, you know, all that stopped, you know, for, I mean, March, you know, whatever, second week of March, all that stopped. And so there was an opportunity to um, start connecting in the wellness community and, you know, looking locally, you know, I, I, I didn't know a lot of people locally. And so the opportunities presented themselves, I would participate in events, you know, maybe some yoga sessions or things of that nature, and the community started coming together, right? And so our meeting, what's interesting was, I mean, obviously it was very innocent, and, you know, it was kind of beautiful how it happened in the beginning because, you know, we just, it was just all innocent, you know? You meet people, you have conversation, and you, and you go away, but then you come back together another, another time, and then you, you have conversation, and you become interested. Um, and you know, it was a small community of people that were getting together who wanted to do yoga or, you know, who were interested in wellness. And so kind of started that way. I think it is very interesting because, you know, I tell people today that I think a lot of times <clears throat> we, all these things we see happening in our society today, I think people have forgotten how to connect with individuals as human beings. You know, we've spent a lot of time on the apps. We spent a lot of time with this virtual connection, but there's, there's something about virtual that's just not the same as being face-to-face in front of someone, meeting their energy, feeling their energy. I mean, you can do some of that stuff remotely. I'm not saying you can't because there's, there's energy in all of this, but um, there's something about the human connection that, you know, is just kind of missed in that process. And so it got to build into acquaintance, interest, more interest, attraction. Let's have some conversation. Let's go out. You know, so it was kind of like your traditional, it was almost kind of like your traditional way you would... <laughs> Your traditional way you would normally build a relationship with someone, right, or become interested. It's actually kind of interesting now that I think about it, as I just said it out loud. That's how that's how it happened. Man, so all I got to do is start teaching yoga classes in person. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I appreciate that um, because it's important. I think that we we do get really caught up in the hype of online dating and there's this paradox of choice because there has never been a time where your potential next partner, intimate partner, whatever it is that you're seeking is a thumb swipe away. Like you press a button and you might be in a conversation with someone who thinks you're attractive. Like how many of those interactions would we have out in the wild? Like, how many social cues are we missing? Because I remember, even for me, I've been terrible at taking hints. And I know this about myself. Like, it, it you got to, like, hit me over the head and be like, hey, idiot, I'm interested in you for me to get it. And uh, even, like, in college or high school, like, I've been fairly attractive, at least, you know, the majority of my life that I can remember. And... In hindsight, like I haven't been as emotionally aware of little like social cues or indicators of interest as I am now. And I know I missed out on a lot of opportunities. And I was talking to a friend recently and he was speaking to me about this. And when he said it, I couldn't unhear it. 
And so that was part of what baby delete the dating app. She was like, yeah, dude, most women on there are just on there for attention. Like, think about it. Every other, every swipe that they get is going to be a match if there's someone who's attractive and seeing attractive men on there. And I was like, shit. <laughs> it's like, cause I'm, I'm feeding into that. And I even brought it up to a couple of female friends and they were like, yeah, I don't even, I, I'm, I get bored and I want some attention and I go on a dating app. And I was like, yo, I don't want to feed into this system anymore. So disengaging from that for me, um, I'm talking like it's been a while. It's been like two days. It'll be about two months <laughs> at the release of this podcast episode though. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see what I report back in, in 60 ish days. Cause that's when this podcast is going to have gone live from the time of recording. Uh, but yeah, I, that, that human connection is something that also comes with community and for people who, uh, who do have HSV, I guess this is a good place to speak to that. I know that there are a lot of people who only date with, who only date other people who have herpes. Yes, it's easier. You don't have to really engage in the conversation. There's not the risk of the guilt that comes with passing it on to a partner. But I hope that in this series, you can see how impactful it can be to not only branch out into other communities and branch into the potential of dating other partners, but to realize, like, what are you missing out on by only sticking to what's familiar and what it is that you know. Like if you're comfortable where you are and you're happy, then by all means, continue to do that. But I want for people to feel like they're making a choice and not that the choice was made for them or that they don't have a choice at all. So we spoke about you going and being in a common space. Uh, you connected with people through a mutual interest and you just so happened to have met your partner there. I think that for many of us, it's difficult to do that. We can't connect or we're, we may feel a little bit less worthy of doing the things that once bring uh, once brought us joy, that we felt connected through, that we had a sense of community for. Like It's okay to step outside of that comfort bubble and bring yourself into a space where people are connecting through a mutual interest. Because I find that Herpes is a mutual interest, and I'm in part of uh, I'm I'm in a lot of different support groups, and I see that that's often the only mutual interest. And then when incompatibilities come up, that's where a lot of problems arise. So your experience that you shared has brought my perspective to now where I can speak to uh, this this new this newly tapped into range of perspective where I can be like, hey, well, what do you like doing? Why don't you just go do that? And maybe you'll meet people. But even if you don't meet people, you did something that you like, that you're interested in. That's right. That's right. You know, it's interesting as you were kind of clear, summarizing that, I started thinking, it's like, you know, I'm, <laughs> I've always, in my, my entire life, have tried to be outside of the box.
from a different background that you just completely connected with and were completely enamored with and you wanted to spend your rest of your life with them, would you not make that decision because it looked different? Or would you go ahead and do it? Because you know that's the love of your life and then you're going to miss out on, 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 on the love of a lifetime. And, and I guess when I look at it that way, it's really about how, how open we are to to being outside of the box of the norm, if you will. We're supposed to do these things, but yet you're looking at someone right in front of you and you know how you feel, you know how they feel, you know how strong that is. You probably know that you've never felt that before. And it's almost like, well, do I do what everyone tells me I should do or do I go ahead and take a chance on this one? Right? And that's what we do. We, we take the opportunity. We see the opportunity. Wow, I can connect with someone that I never would have thought to connect with before. And I did this at a young age. So as I heard you saying, I was like, well, yeah, I mean, what's your risk tolerance? Well, that's that's pretty risky. I can't take off what I look like. I can't take it off and put it on. The, I can't hang it up on the, on, the, on, the, on the hanger and then get a new scan and put it on and say, I'll be this today. Yeah. It's, it's every single day. Yeah. Right? And you learn how to navigate that. We've navigated some tough things as human beings. So it's almost kind of like, can you navigate? You, you should be able to navigate this thing. Mm-hmm. Right? But, but we have to have the information. We got to have the curiosity. We got to have the emotional awareness. We got to have the presence. Um, and if we can do that, then we can see people for who they really are. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that and going there um, because I don't I don't get a lot of black men on this podcast to be able to speak to a lot of certain things, especially in regards to dating. So when we speak to uh, like colorblindness and like I'm someone who's dated outside my race, I you know, there's no I don't only date a person who looks like or does these things. But I recognize how dating people who don't look like me or participate in the same activities have expanded my toolkit of experiences. So like getting into yoga or going rock climbing. Like these are all things that, and to be completely direct, like I've said this on the podcast before, like it, to my family and my social circle growing up, white people shit. And being in- We don't typically do that. We don't typically do that. Yeah. <laughs> and so like I'm there and like in these spaces, I'm doing these things and I'm with my person who, you know, is their colorblind to love. And I want to, I guess maybe you would be- uh, if you're comfortable, we can go here with um, like speaking to some of those compatibilities and compatibility. So we can talk about like how how even, you know, we look at herpes as such a big uh, deal in some cases for some people. But race can be a big deal, like how we interact with each other in public. Like, do you know the protocol? Like I, I hang out with someone uh, a few times. I've hung out with people who like. I guess this is a thing in Portland. They ride around and they flick off cop cars. And I'm like, yo, we got drugs in this car. Like, yeah, we legal, but you can't do that shit. Can't do that. <laughs> yeah. So there's not, I guess there's not really a, a question. I was just like, it. the opportunity comes up for me to have like a little bit of back and forth with someone who also dates outside of their race and being able to speak to even that being like a qualifier or a mismatch of compatibility if someone isn't attuned to 
uh, like the current political climate or what it would be like to date someone who is black or a person of color or outside their race. Um, do you have any experiences perhaps that you could speak to in that regard as someone who dates outside their race and who is as emotionally intelligent as you are? You know, it's, it, it is interesting because I think that those are things that are important. Like, as you were talking about, like, those are things that are important to me. One, it's that someone has a more uh, world or global view, right? Even if it's just more of a societal or community view, just looking, knowing that it's bigger than just us or just the individuals, right? I think that's certainly a, a very important thing for me. And it does allow us to share our experiences with someone who's genuinely interested in hearing about them. And I think that's also important too. And you're right, it, it broadens our own perspective on other people's experiences. I always tell people, you will never know what it's like to be me because you have not, you don't walk in my shoes. You don't wear the skin. But I, but I have an opportunity and kind of almost obligation to share that story with someone as long as they're interested in hearing it and want to, and, and are willing to listen to it and not be triggered by it. Because my experiences are my experiences. I'm not alone. Yours are yours. Theirs are theirs. You know, even when you have twins that are in, that live in the same, that grew up in the same family, grew up in the same house, they have different ways they saw the world through their eyes, which makes them different when they grow up. Even though they're identical physically, there's things about them that are different because of how they perceive the environment. And so as long as we're open to sharing experiences and not judging those experiences, we have the opportunity to, to really embody what people say they want or people say or claim, you know, everybody's equal here and everybody's this and the other. It's not going to be that way until we can have that real conversation without being judged and having acknowledged that there, we are different. That's okay. Right? We have different experiences. That's okay too. Don't imprint your experiences on me and I won't put my experiences on you. Because those, you know, those were ours and ours alone. So the more open-minded we get, the more it's e the easier it is for us to be acceptable of things that that aren't normal, if you will. Yep. That perfectly sums it up. Thank you. I appreciate you uh being willing to go there with me and share that. Last question I got for you is I often speak to sexual health and its interconnectedness to mental health, uh, given that this podcast started with people who were contemplating suicide upon their receipt of their positive herpes diagnosis. And it's evolved over time to see how that influences behavior. Um, so I say sexual health is mental health. And I'm curious to know what your visceral response is to that statement. Yeah, I would say certainly it's definitely connected, right? I think that <clears throat> sexual health, so we receive a diagnosis, that's an experience, right? Every experience that we have, there's an emotion attached to that. What... <clears throat> What drives that is what your past experiences are, what your perceptions are, what your values are. So if you have past experiences where these things were had negative connotations and that becomes your belief system um, and that becomes how you perceive it, it's going to drive all your emotional responses <laughs> that you have or 
around this particular situation. And whatever that emotional response is, you have a way that you behave after you experience that emotion. And for some people, it can be so overwhelming, you know, that they get depressed. And that's where it, so it starts going down that, that, that track. So one's a trigger, one's a response, but they're, they're interconnected, right? So I would say, yeah, on the surface, that is right. And this is why it's right, because we have an experience. And so, and those trigger emotions. So if we are taking care of ourselves and just being present with it, you know, these things happen, and you know, and, and we can certainly blame other people for where we are, um, and, and, and what we're experiencing. But I, I don't think that's doing us a service. That's doing us a disservice when we do that, because we spend a lot of time blaming and not taking responsibility for how we respond to it. So listen, it's not, not responsibility for what happened. Responsibility for how you're responding to it, right? And knowing that we have choices and we have the ability to control that response. Is it hard? Absolutely. <laughs> if, you, if you are at a place where it is completely, where you can't function, yeah, it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of support to shift that. But we have the ability to do so. Everyone has the ability to do so. So with the right information, the right support, um, and just and with some compassion, for ourselves as well as other people um we can navigate it one day one minute one hour at, the, at a time um because that's what it takes um for anything so whether it's you know we want to call it a mental health diagnosis or, or sexual health diagnosis it's really interconnected uh, because they are they are driving one another Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Thank you for sharing your story. Um, is there anything else that you want to leave us with before I close us out? No, I think that um, we talked about a lot. And I certainly appreciated the conversation. I'm glad I was able to participate. And hopefully there's something that I said that will help one of the one of your listeners, people in the community. Um, it's not... Um, it's not a death sentence, and certainly isn't, it isn't as bad as society would like to make us think it is. I think that society needs to be educated because, quite frankly, <laughs> if everybody knew that they probably had this thing, we probably wouldn't be talking about it right now, <laughs> right? But because the way society is, and then, oh, you're so different, and this thing happened, that's, you know, whatever it is, and I got a judgment about you, if we could just drop the judgments and just see the people, and have compassion for people, we would all get along better. We would all be, we would all function better. Um, and we would treat each other differently. And so much love, much respect for you for doing what you do for you, for your community. Um, and, um, and, um, that's all I have. Thank you. Thank you so much for allowing me to share this time with you. I appreciate it. That concludes this episode of Something Positive for Positive People. Please like, rate, review, share, subscribe to, and if you have the means to do so and feel like you've gotten something out of this podcast, donate to the nonprofit. I can be found on Venmo and Cash App at Courtney Brame, all one word. We also have a Patreon page if you want to donate in an ongoing way um, on a monthly basis. It's just patreon.com slash spfpp and then it's the same thing on paypal if you're out of the country paypal.com slash spfpp 
Uh, yeah, so this really speaks to, you know, that statement that's out there, ignorance is bliss. I feel like we're at a point now where we can say like knowledge is bliss or emotional intelligence and awareness are bliss. I think that we need to reframe that narrative so that we don't just excuse ignorance anymore. So that's one of the major takeaways from this podcast episode. And um, I invite you to check out the show notes, uh, the website, actually, because I'm writing out greater, lengthier descriptions of the podcast episode for those who may not be able to listen to the podcast. So if you're someone who prefers the writing, then I go into a lot more detail on the website of um, where you'd find the podcast episode. Till next time, stay sex positive.